Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. It's SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. The Western Conference Final is underway. Stars a shutout win in Game 1. Vegas a shutout win in Game 2. Vegas goalies have surrendered one goal in the last three games, going back to Game 7 against Vancouver. And the Knights offense found its footing Tuesday. We break down the 3-0 victory, how uncommon line combinations provided a spark, and how Vegas depth compares to Dallas depth. A look at the Eastern Conference Final, positioning for the October 6th draft, and much more. It's the Western Conference Final for the second time in three years on SLGND. The Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave! Oh, Dan Duva, there he is. He's in Western Conference Final form here as uh, the Golden Knights are in Western Conference Final form as well, taking on the Dallas Stars uh, with a berth to the Stanley Cup Final on the line. I am some guy named Dave. Dave Gosher along with Shane Knighty, Gary Lawless, and Dan Duva, the Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast. Hashtag SLGND. All right, fellas, here we are as we sit here, the 9th of September, and the Golden Knights are in the Conference Final. So that's that's where we stand in our world in 2020. <laughs> Normally, we'd be probably in the middle of rookie camp, getting ready for a training camp. That's not the case as we live here in present tense. One-one uh, in the conference final, guys, in two very different games. Uh, the Golden Knights. Uh, it looked like maybe the after effects of Game Seven and knocking off Vancouver in Round Two. Not with it at all in Game One. They did a 180 in Game Two. How have you sized up, Shane? We'll start with you. What you've seen here through the first two games of this series? Well, effort. Uh, the effort wasn't there in game one. And, uh, you know, no excuses coming off a of back-to-back. Uh, game seven win against Vancouver. They just didn't have gas, it looked like. And they couldn't get to it early enough in that game. So uh, that that's exactly what it looked like. Domination by Dallas. Something we haven't seen is they were outworked. They lost one-on-one battles. They were slow. They were out of sync. Uh, anything you can think of negative, the positive was they got back to it a bit in the third. And I think that was a, a good thing for them to at least find some of their game in game one of the conference final and, and then carry over and recognize, you know what, uh, they needed to be a lot better. I think Pete DeBoer talked about, you know, that it wasn't a game in which you burned the tape. They needed to look at it. You need to assess the areas that needed to be better and uh, even maybe reinforce some positives. What, what went right in that third period? And then they came out and were able to execute. We saw, you know, Pete DeBoer doing some good coaching. This is a team that struggled offensively, the Golden Knights, and shuffled a couple of lines, some new combinations we'd never seen. But uh, he got the result he wanted. Uh, everybody came to play, and it was right from the drop of the puck. They were ready to go, which was so important. Talked about being ready to play, being disciplined, uh, which they were. The penalty kill did have to step up a couple of times, but... Uh, real good effort from the team. And, and when you're struggling offensively, the key is not to get off your game. They stuck with it. They didn't find anything in the first, stayed within their game, uh, you know, not trying to do too much, kept it simple, kept it smart, won the battles, played quick, played fast, really established their forecheck again, which is, uh, to me, this team, when they're on the forecheck, they create turnovers, they win battles, uh, their puck recovery, uh, and puck support was where it needed to be. Uh, they got the results. And you could see kind of a, it was funny, when Stastny scored, it was like they, they took another step in the right direction after that. A weight was lifted from the bench. 
um, and, and they really got going and, you know, it shut it down. They've been good defensively. They even didn't give up much in game one defensively. They didn't get anything uh, at the other end, but uh, defensively they've been very good and they've gotten goaltending all the way through. Their goaltenders have done their job. They've given them chances to win and they got the goal support they needed in game two. Fourth shutout in the last seven starts for Robin Leonard. So he's the, uh, what is he, the fourth goaltender uh, in the last 25 years to have four shutouts in one playoff year. Who's the last? The fir- uh, was it the uh, Marc-Andre Fleury guy? Yes. Sure it was, 2018. <laughs> I could tell you maybe Tim Thomas did that in 2011, Shane. You should know these things. Um, the Golden Knights, Dan. So I, I listened to uh, a good portion of the game, as everyone should do. On the radio last night, turn down your TV, turn up the radio, sync it up if you can. And especially early, so we mentioned the line juggling. And Pete DeBoer had, he went, he changed it up a bit in the third period on Sunday. Liked what he saw a bit. But the two lines that were put together last night, Tuck, Stevenson, Stone, Pacioretty, Stastny, Wah. And the note you had, Dan, on, on just how limited time Wah and Pacioretty have spent together this season. Yeah, seven minutes and 24 seconds uh, in the playoffs um, and a grand total in the regular season of 72 minutes. So that's an extremely limited. That's power play, even strength, penalty kill. That's every situation combined. And not too much time for Stastny and Pacioretty together either. Um, Other than the power play, just uh, under nine minutes during the playoffs, for Pacioretty and Stastny on the ice together. And I thought of that because of how well they played together in the playoffs last year. So you're talking about three guys who have not really seen much of each other. But when you look at Stastny coming through with that, that goal, Nick Waugh was involved in two of the goals. And everything seems to fall into place when you just have, as Shane points out, you know, the, the weight lifted off your shoulders. And you saw, you know, two of, the, two of those goals, the even strength goals, the puck movement was um, not something we'd seen very much. So you'd think, all right, you're throwing guys together who aren't normally playing with each other, like Stevenson with, you know, in that combination at the time, Stevenson, Wah, and Nosek, which is not even a, a, a regular line. They were only together because it was right after a power play. So two lines that we hadn't seen much together at all, uh, those are the ones that come up with a couple of goals. Yeah, had a couple of beautiful passing plays, as you said, Dan, and especially the uh, the goal where uh, you know to make it what three nothing at the time, just gorgeous passing that uh, you know the Golden Knights were able to capitalize. Nosek finished it off. Gary, how, how have you sized up you know the first two games here between these teams? Well, the one thing that Shane said that really sticks out to me is is that Vegas has given Dallas very little. Uh, Dallas had some push in the third period last night, but that's you know, you kind of attribute a lot of that to score effects. It was 3 nothing, and they pulled their goalie with, you know, five minutes left. So, um, obviously, they're going to have some shot advantage in that regard. But uh, I, I think Vegas has done a, a real good job defending against Dallas and not giving them very much. Series are about adjustments and adapting, and Vegas adapted for last night's game. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what Dallas has what other gear they have to provide because um, I would think that what we saw in game two is going to be a lot more um, representative of what this series is going to be than what we saw in game one. Vegas was terrible in game one. One of their worst offensive outputs in the history of the organization. And that's not who they are. They are a 
a shot generating machine. And they proved that again. They, they showed that last night. They, they had a lot of opportunities over the first two periods. So uh, I think that, you know, Rick Bonus has wanted to tighten things up defensively uh, for his group, but he, I think he's done that at the expense of offense. He, I think he's going to have to open them up a little bit, and we'll see what the result is uh, for, for them once they do that because I think that's a dangerous game to play against the Golden Knights. Do they have to find a happy medium, guys? You know, the Stars, here they are. Regular season, they're the number two goals against team in the league, but they can't score. They're 26th in offense. Then you watch their first two series against Calgary and Colorado, and it's you get flashbacks to the mid-'80s where it's 7-6, to 6-5, six, six to five, last shot wins. Do they have to get a middle ground if they're going to have success, do you think? I think they do. I think the other issue for for Dallas is goaltending. I think Hugh Dobin has been redlined, and I think that, you know, he is not a guy that's ever played, you know, uh, he's never been a, a true number one in his career. And there's usually a reason for that. After a certain number of looks, a guy like that will start to look, uh, um, you know, like there's 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 some openings against a goalie like that, and uh, you know Ben Bishop's a much better goalie, and they don't have him right now in Vegas. Uh, all of the complaining and whining about Vegas's goaltending, um, yeah, that's only the best in the NHL right now. Uh, so uh, uh, I think ha- happen to think Pete DeBoer's done a really good job on that regard. But yeah, I would agree with you um, for Dallas. But I-, I think there's injuries there too. And Shane, you and Dave will know this better than me. Tyler Sagan doesn't look like Tyler Sagan. No, no. You can just go to that three and one goal. He he pinches. Actually, it's him and Ben. Ben's been a little bit better trying to get involved physically. Uh, you look at the three and one goal by the Golden Knights. Sagan leaks down. Ben's right there. They're the two high forwards covering Alexiak, who's in on the pinch. It's Nick Waugh. The puck comes out, and at, at the Golden Knights blue line, Ben and Sagan still have position on Waugh, but Waugh, by the time they hit the red line, he makes it a three-on-one, and, and there's no way Nick Waugh should blow past both Ben and Sagan, so you wonder what is there for injury. And just to touch on a, a good point made by Gary, it's it'll be interesting. This Dallas team... They, they had to change their style. This is what they played during the year. They didn't give up much, but they didn't get much. That was their regular season. Calgary and Colorado, well, they, it was wide open hockey. But that's how Colorado had to play. They had their third string goalie in. They knew they were going to give up. They were going to have to get. And it was a wide open game. Same with the Flames. It was back and forth. Not a whole lot of defending. The Golden Knights can't get caught in that. I think Dallas is going to try to open it up. They have to offensively, so that might involve a little bit of risk for the Golden Knights who have defended so well. It's going to be very imperative that they stick to their game plan and have patience. If Dallas is going to press, you're going to get those opportunities. You're going to get those breaks that you can maybe get a real good grade A scoring chance, get odd man rushes. I think it's dangerous if Dallas tries to open it up, but when you've only scored one goal in two games... That's the tendency of a team. That's the, you know, that's the natural habit is to try and, you know, cheat maybe a little bit to get offense. So it'll be interesting to watch in game three. The Golden Knights are going to have to be ready because I I think there's going to be a push from the stars. They're going to really activate their D. Uh, They're going to try and get plays. But said, if the Golden Knights can continue to have that relentless four check, that's exactly the area the offensive D men at Dallas do not want to play is their own end. 
And you wonder about how the start of a game dictates how the rest of the game unfolds because Dallas gets that goal early in the first period of game one, and it was kind of locked down the rest of the way. Meanwhile, you talk about Vegas being patient. Nobody scored in this game until the second period. We mentioned the Stastny goal, and from there on, Dallas was trying to play from behind, and because Rick Bonus had done some line juggling too, it seemed that they just couldn't get back in it. Meanwhile, Vegas was then off and running. It just seems to me that while we have seen a lot of the lead changes for, for Dallas and these, these wild swings, I'm not sure that the, that the Golden Knights are a team that is susceptible to those kinds of lead changes, especially if they can strike first. And as you said, Shane, to me, it's a lot of remaining patient. And as Gary pointed out, the Golden Knights have given up just one goal in the last three games. I mean, that is obviously under the radar a little bit because they, they did get shut out in one of those three games. But holy cow, they've given up one goal in three games. Yeah, they've been uh, defensively. And that's something that I, I found it interesting that Pete DeBoer mentioned, I think yesterday uh, or the day before, was that he thinks his team's defense is underrated. And maybe he's got a point. I mean, you know, we talk all the time about the goaltending because it's, you know, they, they have two elite guys. Um, but interesting that how they defend, and that was an area that they really needed to clean up, right? I mean, you know, you go back to the middle of January and the coaching change, too much time in their own zone, too many quality chances allowed, couldn't get the puck up ice efficiently. They have really done a good job of shutting it down as they've moved on here in the playoffs. Uh, you know, that game got to... I know Rick Bonus felt after the game, guys, that it could have been 6 nothing after two periods, that Anton Hudobin was a big reason that it was close. But the, the huge save that Leonard made on Yanmark when it was 2 nothing, right? That's an enormous momentum changer in a game. So that's, that's also part of it. Yes, they've been able to clamp down on defense, Shane, but... And go back to Game 7, Vancouver, the save he made on Besser... They have got huge saves in games where I don't know if the game was still hanging in the balance, but it was it was teetering a little bit. Two nothing becomes two one in game two. Who knows where it goes from there? Yeah, and we we talked through the regular season. You know, you need to make the saves you're supposed to as a goaltender, and then you need to make a couple of those you're not, and, and in timely saves, especially in games when you're not seeing a lot of action. It is. That, that is the mental toughness that we've seen, especially well, from both goaltenders, but maybe Robin Leonard, who, you know, when he's been in there, hasn't been a lot of action. And to, to stand there and watch the play for so long, and then all of a sudden a great opportunity comes, that's the save you need. Um, not only that, the other ones, that just the routine saves. And uh, they've gotten the goaltending. They really have. That, uh, that has not been the issue. Uh, we said the, for the Golden Knights, it was about getting offense. And, uh, to their credit, and, and Dan touched on it, they took till the second period, but they didn't change their game. That's what I liked about it, is they didn't try to start cheating. Uh, and I thought that in game seven, I thought that in game two, they played the right way and they got rewarded. You know, it's human nature, maybe sometimes, Gary, and I know, I think Chandler Stevenson said this after the game, when you're struggling to score as they had, you know, you're squeezing your sticks too tight. Maybe you're trying a little bit, be a little bit too fine with your shots. There was a lot of games in that Vancouver series against Demko where they they wore out that Canucks logo on his jersey, hit him dead middle of the chest. Felt like we saw a lot of that in Game One, but you know, Shane touched on this earlier. You could just see it was almost like a giant exhale from the Golden Knights once Stastny got that goal in the second. They say, okay, you know, now we got one. We got one from a forward against a goalie. 
And then they were off and running from there. Could have had, I mean, could have had four in that second period if, if Theodore's goal doesn't get called back. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we lump in what happened against Vancouver with the start of this series. Uh, like, Demko wasn't good. He wasn't great. He was out of this world. And, like, the, the, the chance generation against Vancouver – you know, the, the, the Vegas could have won those games by big numbers against good goaltending. And I think that's what we saw last night. You know, Hugh Dolben was, he was good. He wasn't great. And the puck got by him. And that comes from, you know, Shane will, you know, players will say this all the time when the puck isn't going to the net. It, we're generating chances. If we weren't generating chances, that's what we would worry about because, you know, sooner or later, the puck is going to drop. This is the National Hockey League, and you know Vegas was shooting at like 1% for a couple of games. That's not going to continue forever. It's almost a good sign, you know, when you're still winning games and shooting at that low a percentage. Eventually, that's going to that's gonna even out, and the puck is going to start to go in. And that, like to me, that's last night's game. And, you know, we'll wait to see if we're proven wrong. But last night's game really showed to me that the the key to this series is Vegas is going to get its chances. They've done a good job limiting uh, what what Dallas can get. The question for Dallas is, are they going to be able to match Vegas's goaltending? Because they're going to need to live off some save percentage the way Vancouver did to, to extend this series. And my guess on that, Gary, is no. Um, we'll see. I, you know, Anton Hudobin last night, I, I know Rick Bonus kind of felt, look, let's, let's try and spark things. If it wasn't for Hudobin, it would have been 6 nothing after 2. Jake Ottinger comes in, makes his NHL debut. But, you know, to your point, and, and you know, Shane and I in our previous stops, you know, got to know Anton Hudobin a little bit. He's, he's a great guy. He's a piece of work. He's always got something to say, which I like. Like, he's got a personality. But at the end of the day, he was in tandem with Ben Bishop. They don't have the luxury now. Whatever the deal is with Bishop, you know, he came back and he played that one game against Colorado. It didn't even last the first period. And see you later. So whatever the issue is, they, they're they in a heck of a spot right now because they can't, they can't turn to Bishop, whatever his problem is. So where it goes from here, Dan, I, I don't know. You know, the other issue last week, so the goaltending – Rick Bonus felt it was penalties, undisciplined penalties by his team in game two. And if you look back, a lot of the, you know, Radulov takes a swing, baseball swing at Stone, slashing penalty. Uh, ben elbows McNabb in the head or hits him in the head with his fist on a follow through, roughing penalty. So the penalties, and they got destroyed at the faceoff dot in that game last night. Uh, you had a note, Dan. This has not been a strength for the VGK often in the playoffs, right? The face-off battle, the battle for possession off draws. It's been a long time since they were as good as they were in the dot in Game 2 of the conference final. They were 61% in Game 2, and they had not been in the plus territory since Game 4 of the first round against Chicago. And by the way, even in that game, they were 51%. So they've been under 50% for every game since game four. And we're not just talking like 46%, 48%. You're looking at a couple of games where you were in the 30s, including even game seven against Vancouver. They were at 36%. 
So to have some timely faceoffs, and also considering you're you're kind of moving the the forwards around. So a couple of games, Stastny didn't get a, cut, a ton of draws, but Tomas Nosek, who had been a scratch, Tomas Nosek comes in and he wins seven out of eleven faceoffs. That's sixty four percent timely faceoff wins for Nosek. Stastny won nine out of fourteen, and you also had Will Carlson who's not been great in the face-off circle this postseason. He won six out of nine. And I'm thinking of a penalty kill face-off win for Carlson. And then he had an offensive zone situation while he was shorthanded. And you could just see that little bit extra from Carlson early on in the game. Eventually scores a power play goal. But I can't help but think of what Paul Stastny told us in an interview during the previous round. When he's having a good night in the face-off circle, the rest of his game seems to follow. It's like a game within a game. It's like a pitcher dueling with a particular hitter. You win certain little battles. It helps you win the larger battle. And for Will Carlson, face-offs is part of his game, not all of it. But I'm wondering, you know, those little things, those key moments, and then in the bigger picture, it leads to possession time. And when you're a, a team, as the Knights were in game one of this series, where you're a step slow, and if you can't get possession of the puck, boy, you're just not going to get the chances. You turn the tables a little bit, they get the step back, they're getting possession because of those timely face-off wins, and, and look what happened. They were just wearing the stars down and down. And then, as you point out, Dave, the the, the penalties, you mentioned Radulov uh, getting in on stone, but also then he cross-checks Braden McNabb in the face uh, late right, in the game, right. and he got the, the double minor for that. But, you know, Gary, you and I were talking about on the radio, I mean, that you cross-check somebody in the face, the NHL's got to look at that. Well, this is what like, this leads me to this, and I want to ask Shane this. You know, uh, McNabb, Ben punches McNabb in the head at the end of a hit, right? He, he hits him, and then he swings his arm, gets McNabb in the head. Radulov slashes Stone, which to me was a, a, a pretty dangerous slash. Right, well after the whistle. Or not after the whistle, after the puck was away. It was not part of the hockey play. It wasn't run of the mill. And then McNabb, who I think is extremely important to the Golden Knights, gets a cross-check in the face. Is Reeves, because he's one game off of a suspension, Is are his hands tied, or is that a game at 3 nothing where you go out and you grab Jamie Benn or whoever it is and say, you guys aren't allowed to do this, and you have to answer the bell? Hey, that's more of a regular season moment. Okay. I think I think the that's the reaction they want. Obviously, you don't want guys to get hurt, but why were they doing that? Because they were getting run. Reeves carrying some massive hits in this game. I thought they were very physical, and Dallas. That's them trying to react to it. That's and you know they're stepping. Maybe they have certain players that are you know trying to step up their physicality because of it. They're taking penalties. If I'm the Golden Knights, I'm like, all right, well, it's playoffs. Let's uh, and if I'm Reeves. That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to stir up these guys starting to do uh, undisciplined actions on the ice because they're trying to match that physicality that him and Carrier, certainly those two bring on the fourth line. Like They don't turn away from a hit. And that, those D, uh, we mentioned, in a long series, that, that wears on you. You're starting to go back for the puck. You, you, hear, you hear the footsteps of those two guys coming. You're like, oh, all of a sudden uh, the puck uh, moves a little quicker. You leave it there. So, yeah, you, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to believe saying, yeah, no, I'd love to see him go grab somebody and tune him in. But uh, it's, that's, that's not where the state of the game is at right now. And uh, in playoffs, uh, I think in playoffs, uh, even more so, you've got to be aware that that's not the time. 
he'd done his job. He got the re- he got the reaction out of them that he wanted. Yeah, yeah. It just it's uh, it, it's a it's a, a fine line, I guess, because you know you, you're you're up three nothing. But I guess you know what you're saying is if you answer them with with what they've done, you're kind of you're you've already you've already put them into the position where they think they have to react. Why would you react to them? Well, what what I would do is I would continue to run Haskinen. I would not. I'm not worried about Ben or Radulov. I'm going after Haskinen. I'm going after Klingberg as much as I can. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave Podcast, brought to you by the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. We talk about some of the high end guys uh, for Dallas, fellas, and you mentioned Tyler Sagan. Gary, uh, not sure if he's injured or not. There's something that's not right. He's gone six point, six games without a point. You go back to their their previous series, uh, you know, and, and it's something Rick Bonus had talked about when that three one lead against Colorado turned into a three three series. He said that some of our better players are going to have to be heard from here if we're going to win. Well, Radulov had a couple of goals in Game Seven. They were able to to get through, but uh, from a depth standpoint, Shane, it. it you know, the Golden Knights, and we've talked about it all playoffs long. If you put their lineup against most lineups in the league, and especially the, of the four teams that are still playing, you know, Vegas and Tampa, that, that depth is pretty pretty unique. And if it, it comes to that, and it often does over a long series, Dallas went through this the last series. You had Yoel Kiviranta score three goals in game seven. But the depth of the Golden Knights compared to what the Stars have, you know, the Golden Knights again have been able to show that, especially in game two when they broke through. Well, they have, and we're, and we're talking about, well, the Stars are looking to get Sagan going, Ben going, certain guys. you got to remember the Golden Knights, Smith and Marcia, so it's now eight games without a goal for them. Yeah. Mark Stone's yet to, to heat up. Pacioretty, who has to hit a, a wrist or third period off the post, he's inches away from breaking free. Like, uh, these guys are, you know, there's a lot of Golden Knights that still have some, have yet to break out. Uh, you know, it's great when you get goals from your Tomas Nosek in a game, it was good to see Paul Stastny, who really hasn't uh, been going offensively, and William Carlson, who had only one goal in 10 prior to yesterday's game. So uh, as much as we talk about the Stars looking to their guys, Golden Knights are winning, and they have yet to unleash their offensive weapons. And, and it's just a matter of time because, you know, Riley Smith, again, the chance, the shorthanded chance he had, he, every game he's had a great opportunity. You can put Marcia so in there with him and uh, they look more and more, they look more comfortable in, in that game. And, and you like what you see. I think still at times they maybe look for that perfect pass a little too much, but uh, they're coming. And, and that's, that's where the depth is so important because it's up and down the lineup. Uh, it's you love when you see guys like no able to chip in Nick Walker had, how many goals last night? Two in the first, or like the yeah. one at the end of the first rolled right past his stick. He's had some good chances. So, um, yeah, the depth, as you mentioned, Dave, that's so important. And I think the Golden Knights, uh, a lot of their depth is yet to really uh, break through. It's interesting, Dan, when you look at at Robin Leonard, and, and again, hasn't been. If you look at his last two starts, Game Seven against Vancouver, and then Game Two against Dallas, has not been very busy but has made enormous saves in each of those two games. He, he's, and, you know, we haven't really been able to kind of, I know, Gary, you talked to Robin at length for a, for a written piece, uh, but, you know, this has all been from afar for the most part, right? I mean, he, he comes here at the trade deadline, the pandemic hits, 
you know, a couple of weeks later. Um, but he, he seems to, he just, he seems to be in a great spot. You know, I don't, I think he blocks out a lot of the noise, although he did have a couple of good trips for some media people after the save on Besser in game seven. <laughs> um, but he seems pretty, he seems pretty unfazed by all this that, Hey, look, when the coach calls me to go in, I'll go in, I'll play, I'll do the best I can. If I don't play, then I'll, I'll root on Fleury, but what a spot they're in with these two guys that they know they can rely on here as the as the intensity and as the importance of these games increases. Yeah, I mean, Robin had never played in the conference final until game two, and he gets a shutout. In his only real postseason experience, he had four wins in an opening round and four losses in a second round series when he was with the Islanders. But I was talking with Gary about this on the broadcast yesterday. The last time that Robin Leonard was in a conference final of any sort, you have to go back to his 19-year-old season. He's a rookie with the Binghamton Senators, and they won the Calder Cup that year, but Leonard was not the number one goalie starting that postseason. In the opening round series, and this is just wild, opening round series, Robin Leonard is the backup goalie to Barry Brust, and you're facing the Manchester Monarchs with Jeff Zatkoff and Martin Jones. And Manchester's up in the series three games to one. Leonard comes in, starts game five, wins it in overtime. Starts game six, wins it in overtime. Starts game seven, wins six to five in overtime. And he's 19 (laughs) years old. And the rest is history. They go on and Leonard's the goalie. I think uh, Brust gets one more win, one other start, one other win in that postseason for Binghamton. But, you know, that's that's a long time ago. But, you know, you think about those experiences for Leonard, and now he's at this place where he's more mature, and, and obviously he's gotten through a lot in his life. And you think about where he must be in this position because he's never been this close to uh, this kind of success since he was 19 years old in the American Hockey League. And for him to put up three shutouts in one series, something that has happened only 15 times in NHL history, and then he follows that up with a shutout in his first ever appearance in a conference final. I mean, this is remarkable. And and you said it's not like he's making 48 saves, shutouts. I mean, but he's making the timely saves. But I, I can't help but think about his path from, you know, it's... While he's only been with the Golden Knights for the, the late stages of this season... Everything that he's been through uh, all plays into the incredible story and the success that he's having now. Over the last two years, uh, amongst goalies that have played a minimum of 39 uh, 39 games a season, uh, his save percentage is fourth amongst that, that group. And his goals saved above expected in that group is second. So that's the fancy goalie stat, right? Like the save percentage we all get. He's fourth best in the NHL. But the goal save above expected, which is kind of everyone thinks about Leonard, has he doesn't make those saves, those spectacular saves. Well, that's actually not true. His goal save above, above expected is second in the NHL. So when teams are getting quality chances on him, he is still turning the puck away. And oh, I spoke to him for a long time. He said, people don't understand the way I play net. He goes, they think I just fill space. He goes, it's more complicated than that. And I can make the acrobatic save. He goes, but my game is really about reading the play 
and reading my teammates. And it's taken me a while to figure out where my team, he goes, that's why goalies don't get traded, especially starting goalies, because it it takes a long time to figure out what's a defenseman going to do on a certain play. He goes, now I kind of have an idea where Shea's going to be, where Nick's going to be. And you saw it on that two-on-one last night. He played it perfectly. He knew where Holden was going to be and reacted off of that and then was in a perfect position to snuff it out. I think Robin Leonard, you talked about Pete DeBoer saying their defense is underrated. I think Robin Leonard is underrated, and I think he's one of the top three, four best goalies in the National Hockey League right now. Lawman, you, you mentioned you talked to him at length, and he mentioned to you, you know, what you just said about it takes time to get used to how your team plays in front of you, specifically how your defensemen play in front of you. What were what was another big takeaway from your lengthy conversation with him of just where he's at right now and how he's handling all this? Well, number one, he said that uh, Mark Andre Fleury has been tremendous. He said that the flower comes to him between every period, every intermission, talks to him about things that he's seen. He encourages him. He said he has made me feel like a teammate, but also like a friend. He said he's been extremely professional. So uh, that to me was, you know, a really interesting takeaway because there's all of this noise about some friction there. There uh, doesn't appear to be any any friction. And then the other thing he said was uh, that he is getting more and more confident as time goes on here and is enjoying this experience right now more than any other experience ever before in his career. Well, he's been fantastic. He's 12-4 and four now combined with the Golden Knights, regular season and, and playoffs. Yeah, he's been, uh, you know, and you get to this point of the playoffs and you start to, you know, I, I read an article the other day about uh, Braden Point, you know, with Tampa Bay and people started to throw names around about potential Con Smythe winners for the playoffs this year. And, you know, Leonard's name would have to be in that conversation, Shea Theodore, you know, Braden Point, Victor Hedman. I mean, I'm, there's others. I'm just thinking Haskin off the cuff. Sure, yeah, lots of, Haskin, lots of guys that are left in the at Barzal over on the island. Lots yeah. of guys that are left in the Final Four for sure. No question. Uh, so you mentioned the Final Four, Lawman. So you've got we're two two games down in the in the West. Uh, one game down with another one coming up very soon here in the East between Tampa and the Islanders. Shane, the, it, so the game was over quick the other night between the the Bolts and the Islanders, to say the least. Uh, an eight two route in favor of Tampa Bay, you know, point a five-point game, Kucherov a five-point game. Uh, boy, they are a team that just, uh, they are pretty dialed in right now, coming off what happened to them last year. You've talked about that hurdle to get over against Columbus. They did that this year, steamrolled through Boston in five, and rolled over the Islanders in game one. Well, yeah, and that was a, a product of a couple of things. Game one, Tampa rested ready. Uh, and, and they took advantage of it. The Islanders traveled the day before the game from the Toronto bubble to the Edmonton bubble. Uh, again, not an excuse, but a reality. Uh, you wonder how much uh, gas, how much juice was there? Not much. Uh, and the Islanders, to me, have been one of the most consistent teams in the way they play. If you, you know, having watched, you know, this long, the, you know, play in playoffs, he, they've been consistent, they've been structured. 
methodical. Well, they weren't in uh, in game one against Tampa. Uh, they didn't come out ready. And Braden Point has said the absence of Steven Stamkos has been kind of forgotten. Well, that's because of the way Braden Point's played. Uh, he has really taken it upon himself to lead this team. Him and Victor Hedman, those two are a big reason why uh, the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning are so dominant. You can throw Kucherov in there. He missed a couple of games, but uh, Braden Point started off. What a goal. The, the first goal passed Grice, and then uh, Tampa's rolling. There, there's a confidence there. You, you mentioned them getting past Columbus was, was massive. Uh, I believe any team that uh, to gets to, to the final, you have to overcome some adversity whether it's previous in the playoffs, previous playoffs years before, and uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning have done that. It's going to be a tall task here for the Lightning to try and, or for, excuse me, the Islanders to try and slow down the Lightning. Yeah, they'll try to bounce back in game two, Dan. It was especially when you've got Andre Vasilevsky back there, yes. the reigning Vezina finalist, uh, the reigning Vezina winner. And you mentioned no Stamkos. Uh, I, I was also interested in hearing some comments. First, Andre Palat, who is been really good in the playoffs too he said that facing columbus actually excited them because they wanted that challenge and then to break through in the five overtime game you knew it was going to take something like that to sort of snap out of that funk uh, that the blue jackets inflicted upon them the year before but also it's it's a different team and we would have thought no stamkos no chance but this is a heavier team. We've heard Pete DeBoer talk about how uh, the Golden Knights can, can play that heavier brand of hockey. And you've heard John Cooper talk about how the Lightning recognized they needed some heavier players. You talk about Maroon, and you could go down the list of the players they've added, but they are a heavier team. They can play that kind of game. They can use those bodies that the Golden Knights you know, have used to, to occupy spaces of ice and, and all of that goes into it. And I wonder if that has allowed Tampa to take it to the next level this year. Uh, well, I'm interested in the fact that uh, Julian Brisebois is a candidate for general manager of the year. So is Lou Lam- Lamarillo, uh, Jim Benning, and not in that group is Kelly McCrimmon. And uh, you look at what he did to, to his team, and I guess maybe, you know, I'm not sure how general managers vote on it if they look at, at a large, at, at a bigger picture, but, you know, McCrimmon adds, he sheds cap last summer and positions himself to be able to add cap at the deadline and then gets Leonard, Martinez, and Cousins, uh, you know, added Stevenson earlier, added Waugh earlier, and then made the big decision to fire Gerard Gallant, and uh, um, I, I, I just, it's it's interesting to me, like, I think that Breezebaugh has had a huge impact on his team this year. He added Coleman, he added Goodrow at the, and then you, you mentioned, uh, um, oh, he also added Bogosian, um, didn't change his coach. Shattenkirk. Yeah, so he, he made a lot of moves as well. Uh, I, I it's inter, I guess I'm interested to see what you guys think about those about that competition. Yeah, that that's a real good. That's a fair point because uh, that's actually an excellent point, Gary. Boy, look at that! You're getting a compliment today. Wow. Mark the time. That's rare. Mark the time. September 9th. Holy cow! Breezeball and McCrimmon <laughs> to me. Everybody looks because you, you always vote on the general manager to you know a team that makes the biggest jump. Well, Breezeball and McCrimmon took two. Top teams to favorite teams that are up against it and added the right pieces to complement. And the quiet one, you said Barkley Goodrow, 
Blake Coleman, you know, not huge names, but important pieces. And then Shattenkirk came in, who a lot of people thought his career would be done. He's been very important. He said the he said it's easy. He just gives the puck to Hedman. Well, if that's uh, the case, but and then Zach Bogosian, another guy whose career thought was done, big, fast. You know, you know, times can get lost, but he he's adapted well, fit in with Tampa. Uh, journeyman Luke Shen. You know, these guys have played important roles on this team, and Breezeball has plugged them in, just like we've seen with Stevenson, Cousins, Martinez, uh, Waugh, White Cloud, you know, some of them coming from within. But, uh, you know, Tampa's been an organization that's been all along adding from within and then adding these other pieces. It it really is those two GMs to me because they, you would think, well, they already have good teams. They don't need to add, but they made the right ads to make them better in certain areas. Pat Maroon too, Shane, we mentioned, right? I mean, Maroon wins a cup with the Blues last year, yeah. like in terms of knowing what it takes to win yes, at Maroon. this time of a season. Yeah. It says something about consistency, too. I mean, think about John Cooper is the longest tenured coach in the National Hockey League, and he was with that organization. Julian Breesbaugh and Steve Eiserman hired him in Norfolk. You know, we're, we're talking a decade ago, and some of those players that helped the Norfolk Admirals win the Calder Cup in 2012 are still there. Tyler Johnson and Andre Pallad and Alex Kalorn. I mean, that's, you know, not typical. Um, you know, and I, as I just pointed out, you know, the consistency and having all those pieces involved, even though Steve Eiserman has moved on now, Julian Breesbois has been there through it all. Well, if you think about it, guys, in, you know, Tampa Bay's won its only cup in 2004. I would say they're the best team over the last 15 years not to win, right? They've been loaded some years, and, and none more so than last year. I guess you might want to th- you could maybe throw San Jose in that mix. You know, San Jose's kind of had that tag of great regular season team, but and the Capitals had it, right? The Capitals yes. were until two years ago. But, you know, they, they were able to, to get that off their, the monkey off their back two, two years back. But Tampa Bay, and, you know, you mentioned, Shane, that, Boy, you have to go through, and sometimes it can be excruciating defeats, and that had to be for them, and they had to sit on that all summer. And, you know, we were there earlier in the year, and, you know, they were just kind of so-so the first 20 to 25 games this year. It was almost like a, you know, a hangover effect. They were talking about firing John Cooper in some circles this early on in this series. I can remember reading a story and mentioning it to Dan on the radio, and Dan was infuriated that that this was even a, a topic of conversation well they just signed him to a contract extension yeah. right before the playoffs last year yeah yeah so well they look poised uh you know we'll see but at yeah. least uh so far in the playoffs and one game into the into the eastern conference final uh really strong and we've only seen the one game and the second game coming up here for those teams in the east but between Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo, there's a lot of experience and a lot of success over there. We talked about adjustments in the Western Conference and game-to-game between Vegas and Dallas here. But you've got some real experienced, smart hockey people with the Islanders, too. And I like all series to go seven games uh, as long as they're not involved in the team that I'm covering. The, the more hockey, the better. So we'll see. <laughs> Well, the Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast brought to you by Findlay Automotive. Go see the great people at Findlay. They are the best. One final note, guys, and, uh, you know, as we're looking at other news around the NHL. So the draft initially, Lawman, was going to be October 9th and 10th. It still sounds strange to say that, but the draft was going to be October 9th and 10th. Um, They've moved it up to the 6th and 7th now. 
Because um, the thought being, you know, this could be, this meaning conference finals, Stanley Cup final, could be done by the end of September. It might leak into the first day or two of October, but with being in the bubble, some series have ended early. They've been able to bump some things up. Um, free agency, unrestricted free agency kicks off October 9th. But when you look at the draft, and I know this is down the road and we're in the heat of a, of a, co- a conference final series, what do the Golden Knights have in their cupboard now in terms of picks as they look ahead to uh, to next month? Well, they have uh, they don't have a, they don't have all of their picks. That's an issue for them. They've you know, and that's that's what happens when you make trades. You lose uh, you lose some of those picks, and that's the situation Vegas is going looking at. They have their first this year. Uh, they don't have their second. In, in the third round, they have their own plus New Jerseys. That Jersey pick will be a, a pretty high pick. Uh, then they don't have a pick in the fourth or the fifth. And then they go, go back to it in the sixth and the seventh. Now that's how things sit today. Um, you know, just because Kelly McCrimmon is, uh, is playing games right now doesn't mean he's, he's not talking on the phone and, uh, you know, they could have a deal in the drawer. You never know, um, to move a player out and bring picks back in return. Um, they've got, you know, they've got, uh, they're gonna, they've got 17 players, I think, roster players, uh, signed for next year. So they've got some holes to fill. They don't have a ton of money. Uh, they've got around six million in open cap space, uh, today. That's according to cap friendly. So, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, he were to ship out a veteran or two, um, maybe not resign some of his veterans. And uh, if we were to see some some younger faces, uh, Nick Hag and Cody Glass, I think we'll probably have a real good chance to to have roster spots next year. So it, it'll be interesting how all of that unfolds. But I've been hearing this theory that, you know, the teams that are still playing are at some disadvantage. They are every year. <laughs> the team that wins the Stanley Cup, that general manager is busy until the middle of June and like you know then has to turn right around and if you have to go to the awards like the, the year Vegas went to the cup George McKee finished up with that then they, they had the NHL awards here he flew to the draft in Dallas uh it, right after the NHL awards like that night I I flew with him uh so uh, I, I I remember it and uh, he, you know, he, he missed out on a lot of that opportunity. That's why what's really cool about Vegas, they've got the two-headed monster with McPhee and McCrimmon. They can still both be doing some work right now. And it's a problem any GM would take, Dan, right? Any, yeah. any GM would take. Well, also, knowing how to use the pause to their advantage. You go back and you look at the players that have signed contract extensions two in February, right before the pause, Holden, for two years, Carrier for four years, both less than two million, and then four contract extensions during the pause. White Cloud, March twenty second, for two years. Nick Wah, who by the way is getting seven hundred and fifty grand for the next two years. How about that deal? Oscar Dance, an important signing, one year deal for the American League team, and then Ryan Reeves, uh, two more years at one point seven five. In other words, that's six contracts that have been worked out and six fewer players that need to be dealt with in the crunch whenever this season ends going into the draft and then into free agency. And how good is the Shea Theater contract? 
Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier. 5.2 million from uh, starting with the 18-19 season through 25. I mean, that's, I mean, that so is really So he signed for something. seven years, right? Dan's got yep. another five mm-hmm. to go after this. You can throw Tuck in there, too. He'll be young enough to hit, a, to hit another home run after that. He'll get, you know, possibly get another seven-year deal uh, when that time comes up. So uh, uh, he, wasn't the, he wasn't the player he is today when they signed him. So uh, but that's part of it. Yeah, that's, 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 the, that's the decision, just like Alex Tuck, right? It's, it's when an organization decides they're going to invest uh, prior to a player, you know, when Shea got, that, got all that money, he must have thought, wow, and the same with Tuck. And the fact that they're living up to that and maybe beyond right now, that's a good thing for everybody. And Tuck I signed that those... deal. Uh, sorry, Dave. Uh, when Tuck signed the deal the following year, so it's also a seven-year deal, takes him through 2026, and he's at 4.75. So seven-year contracts for both Theodore and for Tuck, and hovering right around that $5 million number for, for both when you average them together. That's, that's pretty darn good. I remember when both those deals were signed, Dan, and, and you know the thought was, boy, that, that's a lot of money. For yeah. for those guys at that point of their careers, <laughs> looks great and, now. You know, as Gary said, yeah, yeah, all right, might right now it does. Give it four or five years or or two years, and it's not going to look <laughs> like it's that much money. We usually have to we usually have to wait for me to interrupt Dave. Dan's just interrupted Dave, so that means the podcast is over. That's, that's the, it. I've, I've had enough of you three. <laughs> We've rung the bell. That's it. All right, boys, this has been a blast as usual. The Sheriff Lawless, Some Guy Named Dave podcast brought to you by the D Hotel. Golden Knights right in the thick of the Western Conference Final against the Dallas Stars. Of course, you can uh, hear every game on the radio with Dan and Gary on uh, 98.9 FM, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. We'll talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast.